It's a day I had been dreading for a long time, but now it's over with. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian. Welcome to our podcast of December the 4th, 2014, the morning after we slaughtered two chickens. This was our first attempt to harvest the meat of our layers uh, and yes we had named them Adelaide and Beyonce um, and let me just interject at this point that um, w- even though I named them I didn't view them as pets um, it made it a, a little easier the fact that we got them as adult hens uh, we didn't they bond with them early on and they had just basically stopped laying um, in some previous podcasts, we've mentioned that we we're pretty sure uh, we bought a couple of old hens that were over the hill, and they laid for a little while, but basically shut down um, fairly early in the process. And when you mentioned the term harvesting, because at first you said we slaughtered two chickens, and then you said harvest. I like the word harvest so much better. <laughs> I'm very much influenced as many people who know me realize I'm very much influenced by Barbara Kingsolver. And not only do I appreciate her literature, she's a fine novelist, but if you don't know her nonfiction, it's even better to me. Um, And one of her books is called Animal Vegetable Miracle. It's like, it's become my second Bible as far as um, what we do around here and just lifestyle choices, etc. But she has chapters, um, it's her book chronicles a year in the life of her and her family living off the land, living, eating locally, growing as much as they could of their own food and raising their own farm animals for meat. And when sure enough, she has a chapter on harvest time and it's the day that they got together with friends and neighbors and slaughtered chickens and turkeys and, and put them up for the winter. One of her favorite expressions is, uh, we give them a good life until they're good on the table. And we would like to think that's the case for these two as well. Absolutely. They lived a, a pleasant life. Once we had them, we don't know what happened before then. Right. Once they were with us, they lived a pleasant life until the uh, time came for them to be harvested. And, and you know, what, the good life, meaning they're treated humanely, they're fed well, um, we're organic. So, you know, as far as the we, we don't chemicals into their bodies other than we don't put inorganic chemicals that we we, at least we don't intend to into their bodies Um, we take good care of them and then when the time rolls around for their being harvested uh, that's done in a humane manner as well and and so as you said quoting Barbara Kingsolver giving animals a good life until they're good on the table is really um, a watch word a watch phrase of mine I suppose now if you have done this many times, all of this will seem uh, painfully elementary, and we apologize for that, but we also know that there are a lot of people like us who have not done this at all before and are interested in 
what it's going to feel like, what lessons we've learned, and so forth. So we thought we would sort of lay out what we think we've learned having gone through it once before. We decided a good while back that we wouldn't follow the old school methods of, which is what my grandmother did. One of them, she would wring a chicken's neck when it was time for chicken dinner. Um, and also some people, you know, chop off their heads. And there's nothing, I don't. I can't say there's anything wrong or right about that. It's just that there has been a lot of um, innovation in chicken execution since then, right? <laughs> Well, one of the first lessons that we would uh, offer you is start early in the day. Uh, that's what we learned having started in the middle of the afternoon to get everything ready. And obviously, after we've done this several times, we'll know better how to prepare and so forth. But we ended up working into the night dealing with the ramifications of all of this and it's not fun to do this after dark. You know, we were shining headlights from cars on uh, operations we were trying to do, and that was just not pleasant. And I don't think you intended to make it an evening thing, but you had some obligations during the day that you had to go about and just said, well, this is the day to do it. Um, part of what's driving this is we're being in a hurry to do it. Like, why not say, well, why not just wait till the next day? Number one, we're going to talk more about trying to sterilize the coop for use and we have four burgeoning growing uh, pullets pullets I was gonna say I can't call them chicks anymore aren't they six weeks today six weeks old okay. they're getting big and outgrowing their bin so we really just wanted to get this show on the road um, as quickly as possible if we're going to do it at all and since we had decided we were going to do it and we were going to um, you know harvest these birds then we, time was of the essence Use a really sharp knife. There are so many um, things that require cutting in this process, and you don't want to have to saw when you're working with um, a, a chicken like this. You want to be able to make one swipe and do it. Um, and so start with a, an absurdly sharp knife. Obviously, there is some danger in that, but you just have to, I mean, actually, I believe a really sharp knife is safer to use than a dull one. I think for that's true for cooking and uh, chopping, you know, chopping and cooking, preparing food as well. Just keep your fingers out of the way, and it's going to, you're probably going to do less harm by just knowing that that knife will slice. I made the mistake of waiting. I, I, I was I wanted to get all of the tools together and the equipment that I knew we needed and so forth. And then I started the water for the scald. That was a mistake. I should have done that first because we ended up with a lot of time spent waiting for the water to heat up after I had gathered equipment and so forth. So the lesson I've learned is the first thing you do is get the, the water heating up so that it's going to be at the right temperature. You don't want it boiling. You want it to be somewhere around 150 to 160 degrees, something like that. You might want to mention why you would need that hot water. If we really you have novices. You scalding water to loosen up the feathers on the bird. If you try to pull the feathers without doing that, it's it just it's crazy difficult. If once you scald the bird and it doesn't take long at all, once you get the water at the right temperature, uh, then the feathers all come out much more easily. 
Right. And then, you know, I was not out there with you because I was busy being sous chef and uh, chopping up Yeah, we knew that we were going to be using these birds, their meat for stew. We sort of thought we would use it for stew and other things, but once we ended up um, harvesting them, we decided to use them all for stew. And you had to get all the vegetables ready to put in the stew. Right. We had enough for two pots of stew, and that took a while, cutting up various vegetables but um you know we're able to use that's another way of storing um and and preserving over the winter time uh vegetables that we grow during the summer and spring absolutely uh, it took me more time it was more trouble than i expected just to catch the birds i don't now you know some of you are so friendly with your hens that you can you know just reach in and grab one and she'll relax and let you hold her and so forth we've never tried to do that with these we got them as adults to start with um and as a result our birds have never cared for human contact and it was difficult for me to grab them so that i could get control of them but you did finally and then they started complaining to you about that didn't they they didn't you know, you watch these videos and these hotshot folks who are doing it on the videos, they turn the bird upside down and you don't hear any uh, complaining from the bird. That was not my experience. These birds um, both called out in distress um, after I caught them and after I had inverted them. I was holding them by their feet upside down which is supposed to calm them down because of the blood rushing to their head because the blood rushes to their head and um, Beyonce actually calmed down pretty quickly once I did that Adelaide did not Mm -hmm. Adelaide screamed and complained for quite some time after I had turned her upside down Mm -hmm. Uh, that and it was disconcerting I kept thinking I was doing something wrong because she was complaining I don't think that I was doing anything wrong I just think that's you know, some of them complain, and you got to be prepared for that. Well, and then because we went into this expecting that it was sort of like a magic bullet that if you turn a bird upside down, they're calm. And, you know, I guess because yeah. we expected that, it was sort of jarring. Um, we had purchased a killing cone. It's a, a sheet metal gizmo that you attach to a post and you turn the bird upside down. I never used it. Um, I had watched enough videos where they just hung the bird by her feet um, from with a couple of slip knots, and I felt like that would make more sense, and it did. Um, I could see her more clearly as I was um, dispatching her, and I, I think it was the way to go. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, you don't need a killing cone. Um, and while we're on the su- on that subject, I don't think you necessarily need a plucker. A lot of people sell these things you put in your electric drill that spin and you just hold the bird up against the plucker and it grabs the feathers and pulls them out. Pulling the feathers out with your hands is just not that complicated. Now, if you were going to do this to 25 or 30, then... I don't know that I'd use a drill. I'd just buy one of those things that looks like a washing machine and, you know, kind of mm-hmm. bounces the bird around inside. 
Well, people who do this on a larger scale do often invest in equipment. We had a friend in Birmingham who showed us his operation, which is how we learned about killing cones to begin with. And yes, if you're going to be processing lots of birds and you sell them, because he sold organic chickens and, and that was part of the way he made a living. So if you're doing that, then yes, maybe an investment in some of these time-saving uh, mm -hmm. appliances would be worth it. And we did purchase a plucker that goes in our electric drill and I've tried to use it. The difficulty I had is that I could not hold my drill stable enough using C-clamps to be able to depend on it to stay in one place. And if I couldn't depend on it to stay in one place, it was more trouble than it was worth. And it might be worth it to mention, I mean, this is sort of talking about something that's a little bit gross to some people about, obviously, the chicken has blood in it and you want the blood to drain out. But the whole idea of a killing cone, again, this is for, I guess, speaking to somebody who's a novice, I wouldn't have known this before I saw our friend Jerry's, is that... Um, the, and it's very kosher. This is how kosher killing is done of mm -hmm. animals. You want the, to drain the blood out as quickly as possible, right? Yes. So you turn them upside down, and it drains out through the jugular. And is you that just correct? slice the jugular vein without trying to cut their head off. I don't know why you don't cut their head off. That's just what people say. Just don't try to cut their head off. Well, part of it is it's a whole lot less traumatic for the bird if you just slice her jugular, mm -hmm. and she'll bleed out. And then after she is dead, then you can cut her head off. Mm -hmm. um, and that's now that I think about it, that's the reason. It's just less traumatic. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking about the fact that you um, invert the animal, invert the bird while it's, you know, to let the blood out as quickly as possible. Because I'm thinking if you rang the bird's neck, if you went out and did the old fashioned, you know, twirl it around and, and yes, you've got, you've executed the bird, but. You still have the problem of... You still have the blood. The blood. So the killing cone is a good idea. And didn't you say if you lived somewhere that you had a post or something, again, I think especially if you're going to be doing a lot of this, you might want to nail it to a, or attach it to a post and then just... That's how Jerry I guess, had it. I, my impression, uh, you know, having done it now, I prefer having a couple of slip knots. I just hung it off the front end loader bucket and... She was up, up in you know comfortable working height. Slice the jugular, let her bleed out, okay. cut the head off. You're done. And I didn't have any mess to clean up. There's mm -hmm. a little pool of blood out on the orchard floor. But that'll that wash will away. Be yeah. washed away by the next rainstorm. So that that's the only mess. Mm -hmm. So in in my mind, the the killing cone would just get in the way. Yeah. So I would say it's not necessarily a good idea for small scale slaughtering the kind we're doing right and as i said i think if you did a lot you'd want to invest in some equipment um we were kind of shocked well we shouldn't have been i guess we knew these weren't really meat birds but there was a lot less meat than we expected yeah particularly from adelaide beyonce was a bigger bird but um it, we were thinking that we would slice some meat off to use for a meat dish like chicken cacciatore or chicken tetrazzini or something like that and still have enough made left meat for the stew. Once I got them slaughtered, I realized, okay, we're not going to have much meat other than enough for stew. And we did have plenty for stew. Right. Um, but we, we, would not, we were not able to save any meat other than that. And it was tough compared to what you buy in the store 
chicken, you know, that you buy that's um, big breasted. I mean, I, a lot depends on how you cook it, but the meat, we were prepared for the idea that it might be stringy and tough because they were older and because they're not bred for yeah, being meat birds. Mainly they're older. Uh, I'm sure that if you took a fryer and let that fryer live for two or three years and then harvested it, you might have the same difficulty. Is a fryer, by definition, a young bird, a young hen? I thought so. Okay, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't. We don't know. We don't know enough to say that. But I thought no. they, you know, let them grow just long enough to become adults, and then they harvest them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the effect it had is, I'm accustomed to when I use a chicken in a stew, I'll put the bones in boiling water for. 45 minutes or an hour, and then the the meat virtually falls off the bone. That was not the case with these ladies. Even after boiling for a good while, the meat was still really clinging to the bone, and it made it harder for me to pull that meat off for stew. Could be that, again, if we hadn't been under the gun on time, if we had started earlier in the day, you would just let it boil longer. Yes, uh, I would do that now. Knowing what I know, I would let it boil for longer in hopes that that would make a difference in helping the the meat fall off the bone better. I wish that I had understood more about the anatomy of a chicken. For starters, I was doing it at night with by the headlights of the truck, and I, I could I didn't have a real good. Um, way to look at what I was doing. I was sort of working in the shadows. But I also realized that there were several internal organs, and I know to avoid the bile gland. I know to avoid the rectum. But I wasn't real sure which was which in the dark, the way I was working. So I know that before I do this again, I'm going to try to understand much better the anatomy of a chicken, and what's should, going on in there. And I should hasten to say that it's not that you might have put those things in this stew. It's that you said last night you ended up throwing away some things that you knew might have been good. So exactly. in other words, you, you erred on the side of I erred caution. on the side of caution. And um, if I was at all uncertain, then I would just, I, we didn't try to use it. But in the process, I think we threw away some, or, or buried um uh, we, we decided to bury the internal organs we couldn't use rather than try to compost them because we didn't want to keep Audie too excited about them. Audie, our dog, who, by the way, was not party to the process. <laughs> yeah, and that's, a, that's another. In fact, I guess we can go ahead and segue into uh, what we did with Audie. Audie spent this process in his crate, and the moment he heard the first bird express her distress... He was fired up about this thing, and he kept barking and whining and crying and wanting to be. He wanted part out. Of it. He because and and he's a bird dog, Springer Spaniel. And my theory is, I'm not a hunter much, but I think um, his instinct is when his master's out there, and there's and of course they're they're hunters of birds. That's what Springer Spaniels do. Um, he probably thought, man, I'm missing out on what I need That's to be right. doing. That's right. I need to be in the middle of this. Uh, expect feathers to be everywhere. Everything I touched yesterday and last night uh, had feathers stuck to it. And there's 
there are feathers all over the orchard floor. Um, there are feathers on the tractors. There are feathers on the knives, the bowls, the pans, everything. Uh, we just had to rinse them off. It's, you know, it's no big deal, but they do. you do end up with feathers everywhere. Uh, having done this now, we fired up the uh, scalding water and got everything set up for to harvest two birds. I sort of wish we had harvested more at a time. We didn't have, but yeah, we didn't have more than two <laughs> right. to harvest. But um, it's you know the big deal is setting it all up. Actually, bringing the end of the bird about is something that happens fairly quickly once you get it all set up. So, the more birds you can plan to harvest at one time, the better. And that's sort of what happened in the Barbara Kingsolver book that I was talking about earlier. They um. They had a good many chickens. You know, the, what they did was when they had too many males, like roosters and male turkeys, um, that that because they wanted primarily laying hens, the way we do. Um, they but they had a lot more birds, and people would pool their resources. The neighbors would come, and so um, your idea, I think, once you mentioned was, well, we're not ever going to have a huge flock, probably, but we could have, you know, you could have a party if you want to call yeah. it that. Where everybody gets together and pulls their resources, sets it up one time, as you said, does the harvesting, and then everybody leaves with a bird or two to put in their freezer exactly. for the winter and, time. And I, I still think that makes sense. I suspect that's the direction in which we're moving. Because, um, you know, you only you don't have to buy all this equipment, you know, if, if your neighbor's got it all, You just right. because we don't use it more than a couple of, you know, once every couple of years. So. And hopefully... We hope it's going to be three or four years now, depending on how well our new our new chickens um, lay. Cause, and who knows whether I'll be able to do it with these girls. I'm bonding with them, but we'll see. The well, jury's we out. have, um, that's the last thing we ought to talk about is that after Beyonce and Adelaide were gone, you and I spent the morning cleaning out the coop to get it ready for our four new pullets. And that was, um, it was good that we were able to do that. Well, we had the weather really cooperated. It's nice and warm. We wanted to take as much advantage of the sun as we could because we did some research online about how to the best way to clean out a coop. First of all, we should say these birds were not unhealthy, but there had been one chicken that we had uh, months and months ago who did appear unhealthy to me. And even if they don't appear unhealthy, they can be carriers. Their immune systems as they get older, I mean, if, when you survive to be as old as they are, they've built up some immunities to pathogens or viruses and and, and or that um, could be fatal to a young chicken that doesn't have those. So that's so why you just... it's important to yeah. us to wash down the coop, to disinfect it the, to the extent we could. And that's what we did. We washed down all the surfaces we um, scrubbed all the chicken poop off everything we could reach. I and, cleaned out um, their feeder. Yeah, and uh, put some disinfectant, to, to vinegar water basically, on all of the surfaces. And then we left the coop up on blocks so that the air could get to everything. And wide course, open with all right the doors and windows and open and so forth. And... Um, We'll leave it that way for <laughs> how long? Uh, you had read somebody saying she left it for a week. Right. Well, We're not I mean, sure we have a week before these <laughs> ladies are going to be bursting. Sort at the of seams. all over each other in that 
been, but um, but I will say that uh, I'll do some more research before I prematurely put those birds in there. But it will be, they will enjoy having a chance to spread out some. And um, that's another thing, talking about research that we did about um, cleaning the coop. There, a lot of people use a bleach and water mixture, but one um, writer, one farmer, actually was just as successful using a vinegar water mixture. We used 50-50. And um, the nice thing about vinegar is um, it's not going to be toxic to the birds. Um, you can it, it has a disinfecting effect. And yet once it's, you know, it's rained or something a couple of times, or maybe even once, it, you don't have the... Um, it's just not... In fact, when, I think when it evaporates, it's not toxic at all. It's not ever going to really be a problem for them. So um, that's what we did. We'll find out how well it works we can report on that later and you know how to reach us uh you can just do uh lee at longleafbreeze.com if you have questions or you're getting ready to do this and something occurs to you that you want to ask about we're more than happy to help if we can we wish you good fortune and joy in your continued work to become independent take care you've been listening to longleaf breeze with lee and amanda borden You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.